and welcome to the second ever episode of the Hip Hop Orchestra presents the Georgia Savides. And just a super quick one to all you amazing people that have already downloaded and checked out the first episode and gave me some amazing feedback. It honestly means the whole world to me. So thank you so much. If you haven't checked it out, go and check it out on our Buzzsprout and every major platform, which is amazing, such as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, uh, TuneIn. You can check it out on Alexa as well and a couple of other ones. But in the meantime, for this second episode, what I want to talk about are behind-the-scenes stories to some of our biggest achievements to date so far and let and give everyone a kind of insight into what exactly goes on leading up to the events uh what work is needed who we need to talk to how they came about and so forth um starting with in fact i want to go back to 2015 uh, which was three years into our uh, creation by me um Leading up to that, we had done some like obviously amazing things, really great stuff, and like a couple of like great uh, major events. To oh, I can't remember now, but they were amazing. And suddenly, for things went really quiet. For I'm not talking about just a couple of days or weeks, but things were really quiet for about two, three months at least, where literally nothing was going on, and. Obviously, we're all a little bit concerned because things were going so well, then suddenly just died out. And at that point, I decided, I, for the first time, I kind of lost a lot for doing it because it was so much fun like performing live and doing some great things. And then suddenly, when everyone just ignores you, your emails, your calls, no matter what they are, it kills your spirit, it kills your creativity, you don't want to do it no more. And that was the first time in my life where I felt like I can't be asked anymore to do this. And I took the major plunge to just call it quits in the end because things weren't moving on, we weren't moving on, we weren't, things weren't happening. So I text my guys just to say, look, this I made a really hard decision just to stop the whole orchestra now because things aren't moving on and... Yeah, I don't really want to carry on anymore. And although we're all heartbroken, they all said, look, we fully understand your decision. And if ever you need us and things happen again, then by all means, just give us a shout because we're always here for you. And to hear those kind of words from what I call family members is, because all my HHO family, they're more than members of family to me. To hear those words meant the world to me. Um, so I told them one evening that we were stopping the orchestra and I put a tweet out, put it on Facebook as well and so forth, just to say, look, the orchestra is no more um, because of personal reasons and so forth. Um, but thank you everyone who supported us from day one. It means the world to us. Um, but I had an inkling to leave all social media pages open just in case um, because I made some amazing contacts on through social media, which a lot of people do. And that's one thing why I love social media is you can make such amazing contacts and create amazing content to show people your work. So I left all my social media pages open, Twitter, Facebook, and, and the rest of YouTube and the rest of it, um, just because I had a feeling that something would happen again. And like I said, I had amazing contacts through there. And literally, bang on a week later... Um, I got an email from BBC One Extra saying, we're massive fans of the orchestra. Are you available in two weeks to do some sessions at Mediville Studios? And I was like, uh, yeah, give me a sec. So I 
Email my card. <coughs> my guys again. So look, guys, we're back together. Who's free in two weeks to do these made of sessions? And they were like, uh, yeah. Not all of them could do it, unfortunately. But So I got some amazing cover in the end and got back to BBC One Extra to say, look, yes, we can do it. Brilliant. So we confirmed it's under contract. And a week later, um, I got this set list of what tracks they wanted us to do, kind of remake and perform live at Maidaville. And we were covering classic ground tracks. So the tracks we did off the top of my head were Kalos P's and Q's, one of my favourite tracks of all time. Uh, I can't remember the original track, but the one that still was done, Shut Up, we did, the vision, we did that. Um, and a few other ones. I can't remember which ones they were now, but I might remember it later. And then, so, yeah, a week later I got the set list. And then every day after work, so I used to get home about half or five from work. I used to spend a couple of hours uh, writing the tracks, I'd go to the gym, come back and, stop and eat and sleep. Did that literally for five days. Barely got any sleep. And by Friday, I had all the tracks written out. Then the following Monday, we went to Medieval Studios first thing in the morning. I got there an hour early because it's Medieval Studios. If you know about that studio, everyone's been there, literally everyone. So I walked, got there an hour early and got myself, gave myself a little tour and walked around the whole studio because I wanted to take it all in and didn't know if I would ever be there again. <coughs> but... I took it all in and then walked to the studio that we were going to be in and it was huge. It's massive. And then from there, we spent, we got, we started at I think 10 or 11 in the morning. We finished at 7 at night and we worked with people like uh, Jamroff and BB. I mentioned it's actually in the first episode briefly where, and we mentioned, we worked with people like Jamroff and BBK, AJ Tracy, Murky A's. Uh, shout out to my boy Jevin we worked with and also my girl Janset. We worked with them as well. And a couple of other people, and the whole day was unbelievable. And we did five tracks, filmed them, got them properly recorded as well. And then the promo, and I had had, had an interview after with with Cyan Anderson as well, who's lover to bits. Um, and I think these all the videos, <coughs> pardon me, that all the videos and the promo was done and released in June of two thousand and fifteen. If I tell you my phone was going off the hook, I literally was constantly vibrating with messages on Twitter and stuff, was saying, oh my God, you lot were amazing, it was so good. And to hear yourself on radio and Sky and, and TV and stuff, it's is, it is so weird, I will never get over it. But that's just a little rundown of how that came about, which is amazing. And the following year, a few months later, we got off. I got offered to do a TED Talk at um, the Brit School in South London. And... Obviously, most of us, if not all of us, know about TED Talks. And I've always dreamed about doing giving one because uh, I know how amazing that, that those talks are. I've been obsessed with TED Talks, well, back then anyway I was. And it was so weird because a, exactly a year before I got offered to give, give a TED Talk, I bought a book about how to give a talk like TED. So I studied that book for ages, how to like be uh, calm and collected and be an amazing speaker. And literally... Soon after the BBC One Extra uh, event happened at Maidaville, I got another email. No, sorry, I got a phone call from an organizer at TED saying, "Look, we, you guys are amazing. We've seen your work through BBC and other places. We've known about you guys for a couple of years now. Are you interested in giving a TED talk at the Brit School at the end of the year?" And I've never answered any questions as as fast as that. And I immediately said yes. 
So I told my guy, I said, in a couple of months, we, we, we're going to perform at uh, the Brit School to give a TED Talk. <coughs> and it, if I tell you, it's one of the most ch- challenging things I've ever done in my life. I mean, hats off to anyone who can give a talk for 20 minutes because unless you're giving a talk yourself, you have no idea how hard it is. I mean, the amount of hours of practice and planning per day, don't forget I was working... At, I was still I was still working as a full time teacher at that time as well. Uh, the planning that goes on to give a talk for that long, plus the performance on top of it, was it was so bloody stressful. I can't lie, but for someone like myself who's so dedicated and so passionate about music, I could have spoken for literally hours, and my time limit went over. Like I, mean, I spoke, I think. When, um, let me go back a step. I'm getting too excited again, but. Um, talk about the plan. It's planning for something like that is mental. It's so stressful. And leading up to the event itself, we would have sessions with the other speakers, and we all were, we all were given mentors of how to talk properly, to how to plan your thing properly, and so forth. And my mentor actually he was he was so helpful. He gave me some great advice of what to do, to talk about in terms of. Uh, being inspiration, using different quotes from different people, and so forth. But yet he didn't turn up for my event, which I'm really sad about. But um, that I, for two, three months I was planning for the talk, and not many people know this. Even though I put it on YouTube and so and so forth and Instagram, I actually suffered badly at that time with pneumonia. Like things weren't stressful enough as it is. I think I might have got that because of the stress but during my talk I had severe pneumonia literally even that morning I was throwing up almost passed out that morning and my mum was going you're not going down to give that talk I don't care how you feel or what you want to do you're not going down you got bloody pneumonia you're so ill and my, <laughs> my head was on the toilet at this time throwing up saying I've got to do it I've got to do it it's a TED talk you have no idea what it's about and I was actually being meant to be at the Brit School at that time to practice our speak our talks, but obviously my head was on the toilet at the time, and um, so I ended up being three hours late. Um, got there at midday, meant to be there at nine. Got there at midday. Explained the situation, said I was really ill, but I'm fine. Got on with it. I was pale as a ghost, I looked like Casper. Um, but yeah, I got there at twelve o'clock. Tried to eat a little something. Practiced my talk for for a little for a while. And once my guides came in as well, we practiced our performance as well, which was an original piece that I wrote. Um, actually, another funny story about TED Talk as well. To add more stress, I I went down to Brit School the night before the main talk itself to practice the talk and to practice our performance with the orchestra. And the idea was for me to give a talk and a performance, like I just said a million times. Uh, the original plan for the performance was with the orchestra was for us to perform uh, like a little medley of a Dr. Dre and Eminem track. I think it was Forgot About Dre into Superman. And it sounded so good. But to add more stress, um, she brought me to one side after the talk and performance said that was amazing. But we actually can't perform that particular track or medley because of... Uh, Basically, like copyright reasons, we're not allowed to release it, so you can't perform that track. Do you have something else you can do? And luckily, I had an original piece written. It's like, uh, yes, I had to like blag it. I said, yes, we did. Or well, not blag it because the truth, but 
I told him we got in the, in the track, went, walked to my guys all sheepishly and said, look, guys, they love us, but we can't perform the medley because uh, of copyright reasons. And thank, thank God my guys are amazing, my family, because they said, it's, it's cool, don't worry about it, it's fine, we'll, 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 we'll figure it out. So luckily on my Dropbox, I had divisional scores, printed them off there at reception, getting to the guys to look, please, whatever you do, as soon as you go home, practice before tomorrow, all right? And then the following day, obviously I was just in my mind, I was sweating, throwing up, the rest of it. Um, as soon as everyone came together, we rehearsed it. Then my stress levels went from right bloody way up there all the way to here. <laughs> Sorry. And I was relaxed and got on stage, gave my talk performance. I was more nervous about not passing out rather than the talk itself because obviously I had pneumonia. I didn't know that until I had pneumonia until a few weeks after when I went back to hospital for like the fifth time. And they said, oh yeah, you got pneumonia by the way. He went, oh yeah, Chief for telling me that, thanks. Because um, originally they told me it was a chest infection, even though I was like coughing up and throwing up blood and the rest of it, but uh, that's doctors for you. But anyway... Did the talk, performance, went amazingly well, and that was that. And then, obviously, in between those events, or before that, in between and after, we, we performed at things like the Jazz Cafe, the O2 for... Jazz Cafe was for an up-and-coming events, uh, up-and-coming talent event, which we, we luckily got chosen to do, which was amazing. And the O2, that was from a film event. Um, but I want to talk about a certain event called Britain's Got Talent. Um, because a lot of things happen with them, lot actually, which I want to get off my chest because people often recognize off off there, but they don't know the ins and outs or what, how corrupt it actually is. Um, so I want to take it back to the beginning of when we started back in two thousand and twelve, like I mentioned back in the first episode. Now, like I said, I started the orchestra back in two thousand and twelve with the intentions of changing perceptions of classical and hip hop. And even before we officially got together, like I said, I put the word out on social media and so forth, saying I put together this group. I actually got an email from BGT saying, would you want to be on the show? This was back before we officially even got together. Back This was eight years ago. Oh, six. Yeah, eight years ago. And I said no because we're not ready yet and so forth, but thank you. And they kept coming back year after year saying, we love you guys, want to do the show, this would be a great platform for you. And I kept saying no, 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 because if you know about these kind of events, you know how corrupt they are. But I think it was like the fifth or sixth time they offered us to perform the show, talking about corrupt, um, they actually offered us a contract to lose in the semi-finals but get fast-tracked to the semi-finals. And if you saw the money they were offering us to lose, it was ridiculous. I think, if I remember off the top of my head, this was like four or five years ago now, when they originally, like one of the times they offered us, many times, I think the semi-finalists would get 10 grand in performance and the winners would get 15 grand in performance. And they would take care of um, all the... Uh, contracts, documents, events, and so forth. You just turn up and perform. And so that was when they offered us that. Got my guys together. So look, I think about it. In my mind, I also kept it. I put on a poker face. I said, I'll think about it. 
spoke to my guys and said, look, they're basically offering us a contract to lose in the semi-finals, yet they'll take care of us for the future. And we had a chat for like half an hour to an hour, I think it was longer. But they all said, if they're offering us this money to lose in the semi-final, then bloody hell, we'll take it. What's the, what's the, what's the loss in that? We'll get far, we'll get a name out there, plus we're getting paid good money. So, went back to BGT and said, we'll have to do it, what's the next steps? They said that when they needed us to film a um, sort of behind the scenes, like a audition off a phone or proper camera, do it however you want to, just film like a an audition so you can skip the pre-audition stage to get to the main stage. Did and they said do that by this date, and we did it. Filmed it, it did it. We did, I filmed it and sent it off by this date. Uh, on the thing of the on the day of the deadline or the day before, exactly what they wanted, and we never heard back. And I heard uh, I've had the reason why things didn't happen is because the guy that we were, that we were dealing with, he offered us the original slot. He got fired. Um, so that year didn't happen, but then two years later, when we actually got onto the show, when they got in contact again, they said, do you want to do the show again this year? And I said, look, I would only do it if I can arrange a meeting with your top people, because we've dealt with you several times in the past before, and I, I'm not happy about how things have worked out. Um, bear with me for two seconds. Oh no, sorry. Oh no. That um, yeah. So carrying on, I said to them that I don't want to do the show unless I arrange a meeting with your your bosses, your top people, because I'm not happy with how things have been dealt with in the past. Um, they said they can't do that because of certain reasons. I thought that was bullshit. I've asked them. I said, look, I need to arrange a meeting with you. And then luckily they, well, luckily they offered us a meeting with I think the boss of the show, one of the top producers, and the um talent scout who offered us the slot i met up with them explained the situation of what happened last time and i would only do the show if we guarantee certain bits because obviously i want want to protect our name our image our reputation and so forth and they said yeah yeah yeah, well that's fine We'll, we'll do all that for you what we need you to do though george is to expand on the orchestra we want to put on a show we want to put on a proper show we've seen your work is fantastic we could take it bigger so we want to add more members more string members different musicians and so forth and we want to add a choir i said okay we could do that that's no problem at all so i met up with i remember actually the choir that we added were called the ligc london international gospel choir and I met with one of my best friends called Nikki, Nikki Segal, and uh, Nav, who runs the orchestra. Uh, not the orchestra, the choir, sorry, my bad. Met with them, explained the situation, saying, we, we're doing BGT this year, this is what they want, is this something we can do? And thank God they helped out with that, they were, they were amazing with that. Check them out if you can, L-I-G-C. Um Met with them, arranged different musicians for um so I added a choir to the orchestra, put the word out saying there's a massive event happening in a few months. Can't tell you what it is just yet, but whoever's interested, get in touch with me. And literally, like I said in the first episode, in a few weeks things exploded in terms of getting free rehearsal space and so forth. 
the same thing happened with the BGT and we went from a core member of 10, 11 members to 33, I think it was, which included a rapper, a choir, uh, loads of string people, beatbox, obviously myself, bassists as well. Uh, shout out to members, by the way, uh, and everyone in that event who were amazing. Um, ooh, um, within a few weeks to a month, we went from 10 to 33 members, 32. And the process of getting things ready for that was bloody insane. Because like I said, going from 10 to 33 members, 32, whatever it was, Scouting for different people that they needed to that things that we needed, um, writing the music out, sorting clearances out, all the documents, the contracts, all the people and so forth was absolutely mental, like a back and forth thing, it was mental. And then that's just a quick thing, quick introduction to how things happened. Then we turn up to the event, it was at the London Palladium, spent the whole day there, it was such a long day, but it was an amazing experience, so I can't lie, it was such a good day. But I'll tell you other things that happened actually as well because before we actually got to the show as well, um, dream meetings and emails and so forth, they were saying, oh, would you mind, they were giving us like stupid ideas like would you mind wearing robes and then taking them off halfway through your performance and would you mind doing this and that and da, da, da. It's like, no, 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 no. Like that idea, no, no, no. Um, Because they were stupid. They were bloody stupid. But, when we turned up to the performance, we got there, I think, at 10 or 10.30 in the morning at Palladium. We had a sound check at, I think, 11-ish, half 11. And during our sound check, the uh, boss was there who had a meeting with. Because you got you lot sound bloody amazing. This is fantastic. So thank you. Um, but then I had a guy in a suit. Uh, this is another stupid thing that happened. I had a guy come out, uh, got, come up to us during the sound check. I don't know who he was. It's just a guy in a suit, as they all are. He said, would you mind changing your name from the hip-hop orchestra to the London orchestra, but then after the performance, would you mind going back to the hip-hop orchestra? I said, uh, no, that's stupid. Please leave us alone now. Not in those words, but I said, no, I'm not, we're not going to do that. My, even my girls were like, no, we're not doing that. So, okay, it's, it's fine. It's just an idea of us. Did a sound check, all sounding brilliant, and then we went back stage for the whole day. Um... Then we came back on stage at seven o'clock at night, I think seven and a half, seven at night. And we realised that during a football, before the, the, well, as the performance was happening, that they brought out less equipment for us to use, meaning the sound was completely different. The, the version you see on TV is a completely different version to how it sounded during sound check. They basically messed us up, messed us over big time in terms of how it looks and sounded. And, I knew that was a big reason why I didn't want to do it in the first place because I know how corrupt they are. And they made us look, in my personal view, I thought it made us look really bad. That's just my personal view because I know that every single person I work with is bloody unbelievable, everyone. They're so unbelievably talented and I'm not taking anything away from them because they were brilliant, but the way they made us look, and yeah, things could have gone better in certain um, avenues but in terms of performance, but... If you know what we normally sound like, I'll attach a, I'll attach an original link below to one of our to rehearsals leading up to it, which we which is how we normally sound. The way they made us look, we looked, I thought shit, putting it lightly. Um, 
we got three yeses and one no from Amanda Holden. Her <laughs> bitch. Um, and they always say, look, this is fantastic. Uh, just work on your, your rehearsals a bit more for next time. That'll be it. And that meant we got through to the quarterfinals that year. And that's un- as, as far as we got. Um, but this is a big reason why I don't really like talking about that experience because, like I said, they made us look not as good as we normally sound. And, yeah, it's just, I don't like talking about it that much. People like to, like to talk about it and they always want to see it, but I don't like bringing it up for that matter. Um, but like, like I said, I'd taken nothing away from the guys because they were so professional the whole way and they're so talented, it's so unreal. Um, but going on from there, we moved on with... We did loads of other things in the, after that. Like last year, for instance, in 2019, we did a couple of major festivals, actually, through a company called No Strings Attached. Um, we did El Dorado and Rice Festival, and those two were <laughs> a couple of amazing events, actually. El Dorado was in Herefordshire, and Rice Festival was actually in the French Alps, which is amazing. For both events, we did... Um, it was an hour and a half set, like we normally do for most events. Um, and we did Be- uh, Beyonce and Destiny's Child stuff for that, so that was amazing. Um, but there's just a few of the behind-the-scenes stories of how these events came about and what exactly goes on. And it we come off as very calm dream performances because we're used to it now. We love what we do, and it's the most fun in the world. When you're performing live and getting amazing feedback from people, it is amazing. And it's like an addiction, it's like a drug. The more you want, the, once you do it and get that, the people clapping back and cheering for you and so forth, it's amazing. But if you, like, like this is the reason why I did this episode, because the stress is bloody unreal leading up to it. For every event we do, it's unreal. People don't get back to your ways, and things always change and blah blah but hopefully from this episode you get a better idea of how things really work and yeah so for next episodes i'm going to talk about uh more behind the scenes stories talk about ups and downs of events what how why things didn't always work out for other events and so forth and take it from there but that's that's the second episode and peace